looked at the calendar earlier this week, and when I did, I saw like, man, it's the last weekend of February that we're going to have church. We're like two months into this new year, which is so weird to me, because that means just like two months ago, it's been two months that all of a sudden we start thinking like, I need to wear my Fitbit again, right? I get the Fitbit out, dust it off, put it on. For me, it's my watch, but I had to like put on the little setting that showed like, hey, Billy, get up and walk around because you've been sitting for an hour. You know, I had to, maybe that's way too transparent, but that's what I did, you know, and like it'll tell me how much water I drink and, you know, have I exercised or not exercised. So that started. I had to start paying attention to my body health. Maybe you did that too. You did that because for the last few weeks before that, you've been paying attention to Christmas cookies. And so you're like, I paid attention to Christmas cookies. Now I got to pay attention to body health, which is actually really important for today because we're starting a brand new sermon series. In fact, if you're joining us for the first time, this series really is a continuation of what we've been talking about. For this whole year so far, we've been focused on the book of Ephesians. Chapters 1 through 3, Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, and he says, I want to start by giving you your identity. Here's who you are. For three chapters, he's talked about this. Here's who you are. You're people who spiritually, you were dead, and the same is true for us. Spiritually, we were dead, completely dead, but through faith in Christ, we've been made alive. We have been redeemed. We've been purchased. We have been adopted into God's family and then sealed with the very Holy Spirit. And then all of a sudden there's this transition into chapter 4, which is why we're just rebranding the series. We're going to call this series Community in Action because this series is a series that will move us and call us to action. Take your Bibles, if you will, open up to chapter 4 of Ephesians. Ephesians Chapter 4 is we look at body health. In fact, there are 10 times in these three chapters, chapters 4, 5, and 6. There are 10 different times that it uses the word body to describe the church. 10 different times. Even talking about the body of Christ, the body of Jesus, or just the body. 10 different times. And the way that Paul launches in in chapter 4, you're going to see immediately that his desire is for the body to flourish. He says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy, I would circle that word, worthy of the calling to which you have been called. The word worthy comes from the Greek word axios. Axios. Axios means to bring something into balance. Think about like a scale. All right, when you think about a scale, You've been talking so far for three chapters about our identity in Christ. That's weighty, right? There's a lot of weight to that, our identity in Christ. And what he's saying is the way that you walk, the way that you live, the way that you do body life should be worthy, axios, bring everything into balance with your identity. So your identity and your actions should line up together. That brings us to our big idea that the body flourishes when the body is built up. The body flourishes when the body is built up. Remember who Paul is talking to. Paul's talking to the church at Ephesus, which is a church that's extremely diverse. There were, there were political differences in this church. Really no different than our church, right? There were differences with socioeconomics. Well, just like this church, some people have more money than other people, right? There's differences with our finances. He's saying there's differences culturally. 
Well, kind of like here, not everyone's from Southeast Michigan in this room, right? We're from different backgrounds. Every single person here, we all have these different backgrounds. And Paul says, but despite all those differences, despite all those differences that we have, he says, now we come together as this one new thing. We are now one body. We're this one church. And so for the remainder of chapter four, he's going to talk to us about how the body should be built up. The first thing that we see is that we humbly maintain the unity in the body. We humbly maintain the unity. Look at verse 2. Paul says, with all humility, with all gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So Paul here points out some specific qualities that are necessary for us building up this body. But before that, I want you to notice that we're talking about unity now, unity within the body. And we don't bring unity for ourselves. We're not responsible for bringing you. Did you see that? God is the one who gives unity. You and I, we're responsible for maintaining unity. We are responsible for keeping the unity together. So we don't create unity. God creates the unity. The Holy Spirit is the one who creates the unity. But we are responsible for maintaining the unity. How do we do that? Well, Paul says that you do it through a posture of humility. You do it through a posture of humility. In the first century, humility would not have been something that was desired for the Romans, not in the first century. Humility was a trait for slaves. No, in fact, the trait that you wanted, you wanted pride. That's what you wanted. You wanted to prop yourself up a little bit, much like America today, right? We value pride. We value propping yourself up. We value self-sufficiency. And yet Paul says to maintain unity within the body is going to take humility, We see Christ live that example. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 7 says he humbled himself. He died in our place on the cross. We're called to consider others more than we consider ourselves. We're called to look at the interest of others before we look at the interest of ourselves. That means when you walk in, you don't walk in and say, well, here's what I think about this. Here's what I want with this. Here's what I need to be. That's not the posture we're supposed to have. We're supposed to walk in with this posture that says, how do I humble myself in a way that these people can continue to grow closer to Christ? Do you hear how beautiful that is? How all of a sudden that humble posture keeps unity. It provides uh, the, the keeping of the unity together. Next, he moves to gentleness. So Paul says we should be humble, and then he says we should be gentle. And I'm going to tell you that to me is such a posture of power. Such a posture power. Where if you read the words, you may be thinking, oh, where are you getting that from? To me, it's no different than when Jesus is teaching with the Sermon on the Mount and he calls us to meekness. You've heard me preach this before. Meekness is not weakness, is it? Right? Meekness and weakness, they're very different. This gentleness that Scripture is talking about, this is powerful because it means that you're going to forgive instead of retaliate. Do you know how much power that is to forgive you instead of retaliate against you? It says, I'm going to serve you instead of bash you, 
right? Because that's what we do, right? We get prideful. This is what I want. This is what I need. So I'm just going to use my position, my power to overcome you and smush you. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to smush you like a bug. And what this calls us to is this posture of gentleness to care for people, not stomp on them. And that, that's powerful, church. That is such a position of power. Patience. We're called to patience. Man, we're great at patience when things go our way, right? We're so good at it. Like, I've got this dog at home that you guys have heard all about. I've got my dog at home. As long as my dog goes and does his business outside like he's supposed to and just sleeps, doesn't need walked, and as long as Gabe is a good boy and he doesn't get in trouble, as long as Amy's happy, I'm pretty happy, right? I'm good. I'm pretty patient. But what about when all those things break down? You know, am I still patient? But see, this is talking about the body health right here. It's talking about church health. Are we patient with each other? Even when people start to say and do things that are not how we would say or do them, right? Are we still patient? Do we approach people with patience or love? We're good at loving people that we like, right? We're good at loving people that are in our family, or maybe in your life group, but sometimes in church, I don't even know if I'm allowed to say this, but there's people who are, I won't say weird, right? Because weird doesn't sound very nice. There, there are people who are different, right? Isn't it true? I mean, we had 900 of us last week. There were some different people here. You may have been one of them. I wasn't here, so it wasn't me, right? <laughs> I was good. <laughs> No, but there are, like, there are some people who are just, they're, they're different than you. And so I think what sometimes we do is we say, oh, no, I'm going to sit right over here with my family or my little life group, and I'm going to look at those people over there, and I'm going to say that, those people, right? And I'm going to be like, oh, Lord, I love those people as long as they sit over there. Like, I'm good. Those people, that's what we do because they're different than we are. And yet, do you see what Scripture said? It said to bear with one another in love. This doesn't mean that you passively sit by and say, well, I love them as long as they're over there and they're not in my space. This says I'm going to get right in the middle of their space. And I'm going to intentionally love them. And isn't that what Jesus did for us? He left the throne room of grace. He came to earth. What did he do? He got right in the middle. As weird as we are, he got right in the middle of our space and he loved us. He proactively loved us. And that's the posture we're supposed to have this is awesome. All these working together to create this bond of peace. Paul says this, this is something that the Lord has created. The Lord has created this unity, and then we are supposed to maintain this bond of peace. It's almost like the church is busy looking at all the differences. Well, look, this is what they think. This is what they believe. This is the language they speak. This is how much money they have, and the church is busy looking at all the differences. And Paul says, don't you understand the foundation that we have the spiritual foundation that we have in Christ should way overshadow any differences that you see. Do you know how true that is for us today? The foundation that we have of faith together in Christ should way overshadow any differences that there may be between us. What's that foundation? That's the very next thing he goes over. He says there's one body. All the believers are together as one church, no different than here. This is one body. There is one spirit. It is the same Holy Spirit. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, it is the same Holy Spirit indwelling each and every single one of us. There is one Lord. Jesus is master and ruler over each. There is one faith. This is an important time out. There are people who will say this. There are people who are saved. 
getting to God is kind of like a mountain. You know, there's a lot of ways up the mountain, but we all end up at the same point. The only problem with that is that's not what Scripture teaches. It says that there is one faith, there is one way to God, and it is through Jesus Christ. There is only one way to the Father. It is through Jesus. There is one baptism. Do you know how powerful that would have been for the church to read that? One baptism. In the first century, people were being baptized into different faiths all over the place. Everyone in this church, they were people who had placed their faith in Jesus. They were baptized in the name of Jesus. And so they were saying there's one baptism amongst us, one God and Father. That is our foundation. That is the foundation of faith that we all share in this room. This is what brings the unity to us. And now it's our job to maintain that bond. Now, you guys know a few weeks back, I started a little house project, and I'm not a handyman, y'all. I'm really not very good at it, Um, but I looked at this carpet that was about 22 years old in the dining room, and I said, it's time, so I put on my worker man gloves, and I'm like, I'm going for it. Like, yes, I do have my own worker man gloves, so I put on my worker man gloves, and I'm like, here I go, and Amy's like, are you sure? And I'm like, no, honey, I got this. What could go wrong, you know? And so I I grab the carpet, and I start pulling it up, and if anyone ever pulled out 22-year-old carpet... Mm, that is, it's yummy, isn't it? It's so good. Like it just, and then I had this, so sometimes I'm a nervous Nelly a little bit. And I was thinking if I roll this out, like in one huge thing, A of all, can Gabe and I drag it out the front? I don't, it's going to be heavy because there's a lot of funk in here. And then I was thinking, then if I do get outside, I don't know if the trash man's going to take it. So I pulled out my trusty little box knife and I started to cut it in little pieces. And I filled up like 40 or 50 bags, those black trash bags full of this carpet because I'm too cheap to buy the thing where they haul it away. So I just put it in a little, tra- and there was like 40, tra- they took them all. They took them all. So mission successful, right? It was good. And so anyway, then I bring out my shop back because now all that junk is all over the floor and I start vacuuming. And those of you who've redone your floors and gone to the vinyl plank, you're going to be tracking right here. So you, you have the floor in the kitchen, which is like a like a wood kind of floor, and then where you tore out carpet, now the floor's not the same level. You tracking with me? Like this floor where the carpet was is now lower because I threw the carpet out in black trash bags. And so I had to get it even, so I called Dave Collins. Actually, I sent him like 30 different pictures via text, and he called me. And he's like, I'm not texting all of that. He goes, so, so what's going on? And so we talked through it, and he was, he was so gentle, so humble, so patient, so full of love with me. And he talked me through it. He's like, well, here's what you're going to do. He actually came out, and it took him like four hours to show me how to do one row of the vinyl plank. But before the vinyl plank, I had to get this floor even, right? So I laid down plywood is what I did, and then I'm calling Dave. Like, Dave, how many screws do I put it? Billy, you need screws. And so he's telling me, like, how many screws. And I go, do I even put it, like, if I screw out the, the outside, do I also do the inside of it? Do I do the middle? And he goes, the field? Yeah, you definitely want screws. Otherwise, when you walk, you know, it's going to pop against the, the real subfloor that's underneath it. So, yes, you need to do that. And, and I'm like, so how many screws? So he's talking me through how many screws. And this is important. Here's where I'm going with all this. When, when you put two pieces of plywood next to each other, he said, here's what you don't want to do. You don't want to put the screws side by side on these two pieces of plywood because what it's going to cause is when you walk those two pieces of plywood, they're going to, they're going to rub together. It's going to cause some squeaking and some, some, some noise. You don't, you don't want to do that. He goes, what you do is if you have a screw here and a screw here on the other piece of plywood, you're going to stagger it. And what that does is it takes the bond between the two pieces of plywood and it just cinches them together just like that. That made sense to me. 
And that's exactly what Paul's telling us here as we live out the qualities of humility, gentleness, patience, and love. What we're doing together as a body is we are strengthening that bond that we all have together. Now, normally you would expect me to say, so look in the mirror, and, but I don't, I don't want you to look in the mirror. In fact, I, I want you to do this. If I went to you and I asked the person that's closest to you in the world, maybe that's your boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, mom, dad, son, daughter, best friend, coworker, whatever. But if I asked that person who's closer to you than anyone how you're doing with this, how would they say? If I said, how intentional are you living your life how intentional are you living your life in a way that is strengthening the unity, strengthening the bond that God has given us? How are you doing with membership at the church? We're going to talk more about membership in a second, but how are you doing with membership? Have you taken that step? How are you doing with being in a life group or with serving? And why did I mention serving? Because what better picture is there of humility than serving others? I'm going to get up a little bit earlier. I'm going to stay a little bit later. I'm going to do things that maybe I wouldn't normally want to do, but I'm going to do it in a way just to continue to strengthen the body. How are you doing with that? Because my, my encouragement today is to take a step of faith. We should be people of action, not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word as well. When we do that, what you're going to see is we maintain unity and we actively minister to the body. Let's look at verse 7. Paul says, but grace... Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity and faith of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. So we're adopted into God's family. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. When we're sealed with the Holy Spirit, we receive this grace that is talking about. But this isn't talking about saving grace from chapter 2. Chapter 2 talks about saving grace. You see, you're not, maybe you've never heard this, you're not made right with God. You don't get into heaven because you're a good enough little girl or a good enough little boy. You, you can't be good enough. You literally can't be good enough for God to all of a sudden say, oh my goodness, you're so much better than that person, you get to come to heaven now. Like there's, you can't be that good. It's by grace that you're saved through faith, not by works so that no one can boast, right? It is, it is a gift. It is a gift through faith in Jesus. This is a different kind of, of grace that it's talking about, though. This is talking about a serving grace. It's talking about gifts. I'll come back to that in a second. First, Psalm 68 verse 18 is quoted by Paul here. It's a celebration of the work that God is doing. And then Paul kind of goes off on a little tangent, and it says, when he ascended. And then he's like, well, how can he ascend unless he has descended? Let's not forget that Jesus left the throne room of grace. 
He came to this earth. He lived. He died. He lived again. He conquered sin. He conquered death. He conquered the devil. And as a victor, he ascended back into heaven and is now seated on the throne, King Jesus. Like that's where Paul goes with that. And then he says, out of that place of victory, out of that place of victory, he says, I've got something I'm going to share with you. The spoils, so to speak. i got something I'm going to share with you. Here's a gift. When you place your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit, through the wisdom of Jesus, gives a gift to each and every single one. Isn't that awesome? That is a gift. That means the power of God working through you to help hold that bond of unity together. To help with the, with the goal of the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all the nations. Here's what he says. He says he gave, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers. He starts with kind of these leadership gifts, equipping and releasing the saints. The whole goal of these particular gifts is to equip the saints, equip the church for the work of the church for the work of maintaining that unity together and evangelizing those who are far off and lost and away from the Lord. Here's what it says. It says the apostles and prophets, those are the foundation of the church, the evangelist. So it's not just talking about those who evangelize, but it's talking about people with the spiritual gift of evangelism. Pastors and teachers, they're the ones trusted to nurture, protect, to, to serve the flock. All of these are working together to do is called cartizo, cartizo, and, and what this is is this mending the nets. That's what the word literally means, mending the nets. You see, for thousands of years, there's been a technique in fishing that's just worked. You take the net and you throw it out, and the net spreads out and it goes down. Now, there, there's a thing though: is if you do this long enough, that net, which what a net is, is it's just loops connected with other loops, right? That's that's all a net is. Just a bunch of loops that are interconnected. As that net goes out, there's driftwood that's going to sneak in there. There's rocks. There's going to be the weight of the fish themselves. There's going to be the fins of the fish. This net is going to get tangled. It's going to get tattered. It's going to get holes in it. And so the fisherman's going to have to sit down in Carthotizo. He's going to have to mend the nets. He's going to have to re-strengthen those loops so that the bond is tight. You see where I'm going with this. Where I'm going is that when there are holes, the effectiveness of the net decreases. When there are holes in this church, our effectiveness will decrease. When there are tangles, the net fails to accomplish the purpose. Meaning relationally, when things are a mess, when we find a lot of squeaking of relationships of people rubbing against people the wrong way instead of a tight bond, we, we lose our effectiveness the body of Christ has been knit together by Jesus himself, and we've been trusted with gifts. Every single person in this room who's a follower of Jesus, we've been trusted with gifts to build up the body and for the body to do the work of the church. So what I want to ask is, how are you serving right now? Which we always think those normal areas of ministry we think, well, Wednesday nights, we have students, we have children, we have women who meet. We know we have men's Bible studies during the week. We know we have a Thursday morning women's Bible study. We know on Sunday, it takes an army, doesn't it? It takes an army of volunteers. I can't go over every single job we have on Sunday mornings because the list would shock you of how many people it takes just for us to do a Sunday morning service. It takes a... So let's just put that all on the shelf because here's what I know looking at this group. 
There are many in this group who are members. There are many who are serving. But most in this room are part of a life group. In fact, 80% of those who attend are part of a life group. If you're not part of a life group, I'm not going to quit talking about it. So you might as well join because I'm going to keep talking about it. In fact, this year, I'm so excited. We as a church, we've been talking about our plans moving forward for this next year. And there's going to be more emphasis than ever placed on the mobilization of our life groups. So my encouragement to you is jump into a life group and hang on and be ready. And so I just want to ask you, how are you serving in that life group? I don't know if you've ever even thought about that. Sometimes I think we go to the life group and we're like, well, that's the person who leads the Bible study. They do all the work. But I want you to think about all the jobs that are needed in a life group. There should be someone saying, I'm keeping track of the prayer needs that we have within this family right here. There should be someone keeping track. of. Someone should be in that group saying, hey, let's not forget we need to get outside the walls of this house to serve our neighbors. Like, how, how are our neighbors supposed to know the Lord if we don't go serve them? Like, let's go love our neighbors. Let's go do that. Let's get out of here. Someone should bring snacks. Snacks are really important. It's not, it's not required. Just, you know, it's not required in life groups unless you're in my life group, and then it is required. It is kind of a thing in my group. We, we do require snacks. But, but someone should be thinking, how do we be hospitable together? And then there should be someone preparing the lesson. Like, it literally, there's so many jobs right there within your life group serving together. That's something I encourage you to talk about as a group. Like, how do we involve more people in the work of what you're doing as a life group? How do we have more of us serving and working and doing this thing together? The final thing that we're going to see is that we lovingly speak truth to the body. We lovingly speak truth. Let's look at verse 15. It says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So there's two things happening here. There's speaking the truth, and then there's the in love, speaking the truth in love. You've heard me say this a lot over the past two years, but if a church isn't careful and we don't cling to truth, it's so easy for us to drift, isn't it? In fact, let me get real real personal about this. It's easy for a church to drift because it's easy for the person who does what I do to drift. Because culture's changing, right? Culture's always changing. And I think sometimes what we do is, is we try to soften truth. We try to leave out parts of truth. But can I just quit saying we? Sometimes, sometimes that is my greatest temptation, can I just say, like, if you've ever wondered, like, what really goes on in the head of Billy, let me, let me give you some insight. I'm going to pull it all back and let you peek in the head of Billy just for a second. Um, one of my struggles is that I, I like people to like me. And, and I'm being very sincere about that. I don't like when people don't like me. It hurts my heart. Like, it makes me really sad. And um, so I've got that appetite, right? I've got the... Um, I like approval. And I really, really, really don't like when people look at me and say, Billy, I am leaving Romeo. I've been going there for years, but I'm leaving because I don't like you. They usually say it nicer than that, right? Uh, and there's 15 different ways that they will say that exact thing, but I'm just going to tell you, like, my ears, my ears peel back all the niceness that they try to have, and I'm like, you don't like me. That's what you're saying. Like, you're leaving 
because I'm the only thing that changed, right? You're, you're leaving because you, you don't like me, and that hurts, and that stings. And so here's the temptation. The temptation is, I, I want to speak truth, but I'm going to leave that part of truth out because I want people to like me. I want people to come back. I love when y'all show up. It feels great, right? I love when everybody shows up. And so there's such a temptation that's there, and that is the weight of, of what we do, right? We have to speak truth. My calling is crystal clear. My calling is, my job is, I have to speak truth. I have to tell you the truth, all the truth, even the parts that are a little bit uncomfortable for us. It doesn't matter how much culture changes. God's word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so there's things that culture is going to say, well, this is okay, and this is what everybody does, and this is just the way nowadays. And yet truth is truth, and it teaches us a certain way, and we can't escape that and can't get away from it. My job is to tell you the truth. Your job is the same. This is not a Billy only is responsible for speaking the truth in love. This is also your job to speak truth to your family. To speak truth in your life group. To speak truth, but don't skip the in love part. Speak truth in love. We have to saturate this with love. This is what Paul really continues throughout the rest of his epistles, doesn't he? He does never change this message. In fact, to the church at Galatia, in Galatians 6, he says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgressions, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too should be tempted. Speaking the truth in love isn't the most literal translation. Truthing in love is the most literal translation, which I love. Truthing in love. So in Galatians 6, what Paul said was, hey, as you're truthing, as you're already living the truth, you in love will then tell other people. So you've got this, this brother or this sister who's maybe they're off track. You lovingly come alongside them as you yourself are already doing it. You lovingly come alongside them to help guide them back to truth. You say it in love, but you're speaking truth because of the way that you are living truth. You're truthing. Isn't that awesome? Or in Corinthians, where it says, if I do all this and I don't have love, like I'm nothing, here's how Paul says it. He says, if I have prophetic powers, and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. You see, it's way too easy to form a lifestyle today based on what culture says is right or wrong. And it's always changing. We should be brothers and sisters in Christ who go truthing in love with each other. That as we live, we speak as we live. That there's no difference. That's what holds that unity together. So I want to be um, real vulnerable with you for a moment. Amy and I actually had a little retreat earlier this week. We went and we went up north. This is my first time up north. And um, it's beautiful, right? And it's cold because we're in Michigan. And Alpena is a funny little place. Like it's my first time I've ever been there. So... Um, anyway, it was just a, a fun little retreat. We laughed, we prayed, we talked, and I had some reflection time. And during that reflection time, I just thought about what the body has meant in my life through the years. I had to go all the way back to like 19 years old or so, and I thought, man, the church was so gentle with me. The church was so patient with me, because I wasn't a believer at the time. I was kind of cynical, and at times I was kind of jerky, and yet the, the church was so patient. Fast forward a few years later, 
A few years later, I placed my faith in Jesus. I was baptized. Oh, my goodness. The church celebrated with me. And it was like, it was old school Southern Baptist Church. So after I was baptized, I had to stand right there with the pastor. I had to stand down front when I was done so everyone could come hug me and welcome me to the church family. And uh, I never knew there were so many old ladies in this church, but they all like kissed my cheeks. And at that time, I liked my personal, like I'll hug y'all now. Like I'll shake your hands, I'll hug you. What, at that time, I was like, no, this is my space. I'm right there. Nope, they were hugging me, kissing my cheeks, ding to my cheek that they do, you know. They were doing that. And I had some ladies with tears going down their cheeks say, Billy, I just want you to know, I've been praying for you. Oh, I've been praying for you. You know, I started to view the church in a way I never had before. I didn't know how to put into words that, that kind of love. You know what I mean? Like, I, I didn't even know their names. And yet, tears are telling me how they've been praying for me. The church was there when I had my first son, and I didn't know how to dad. I had no idea. I was afraid I was going to break him. I almost did a few times. And, um, but they were right there. They were walking with me right through every bit of it. They were celebrating with me in the best of times. They were there when Amy and I loaded up everything and headed out of state so I could go to seminary. And that church, I tell you, they, they wrote cards. They prayed for us. They encouraged us the whole time. They were right there with us. I want to fast forward then a few more years. We're overseas as missionaries in Portugal. And I think about my colleagues there, our church family there. Those colleagues really weren't colleagues, even though, yeah, we work for the same organization. We were family together. In fact, my boys didn't call them anything but Uncle Glenn and Aunt Sherry because we were family. So if one of my kids ended up breaking his arm and ended up in the hospital, they're right there praying through the whole thing. When there was a birthday party, they were celebrating right along with us. Christmas, Easter, Thanksgiving, they're right with us through all of it. We were family together. Man, I got to see the body in such a beautiful way there. A few years later, we're back in the States at that time. Most of you know there was a car accident that happened, and it killed most of Amy's family. I never knew I would need to lean on the church family. I always thought I would be the one that needed to help and needed to serve. I didn't know I would ever be the one that needed help. And yet the church family, and I'm talking from Texas to Oklahoma to Arizona to globally, we were surrounded by people, surrounded by people loving us, praying for us, meeting physical needs at the time because we were in a place that wasn't our home. I want to I fast forward to right now. Y'all do realize I ain't originally from Michigan, right? <laughs> this, isn't, this isn't where my mom and dad's from. My mom and dad's in Oklahoma, and this grandma's in hospice. She's, she's in Oklahoma. My family's not here. Amy's mom is from Oklahoma. My brother's not here. Her sister's not here. You do realize that when the best of life happens right now, you're the family we call. When the most challenging of things happen in life, you're the ones we call. When we need help, because I have no idea how to be a handyman, I had to buy a saw so I could cut the plywood. You're who I call, right? You're our family. And I share all of that with you because I'm going to tell you, some of you get it. 
And some of you are like, Billy, I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm with you. This is my church family, and I understand what it means. But I'm going to tell you, some of you, you've been coming and being a spectator. And I just want to tell you, you're called to so much more. You are called to so much more. There's so much more happening in this room than that. So if you're coming and you're listening to the music and the sermon, and maybe you're like, oh, the music's pretty good, and the sermon, sometimes I get something out of it. That's awesome. I love that. And just, I want you to know, I love that you come. I love it. It encourages. It's like family reunion, right? So when you show up, it is a big encouragement to me. And for those that this is their church family, when you show up, it's an encouragement to them. Like, so you coming is an encouragement, But I just want to challenge you a little bit if you feel like you've just kind of been attending for a while. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, you're called to be part of what holds this bond together. That's a calling that you have. It's not really optional. It doesn't say unless you're just visiting and checking it out. right? So if this is your church home, take some steps. Why would you? There's a membership class that's going to happen next week at this exact time at the 1130 service. There'll be a membership class happening downstairs, Next Step Pathways. Why would you not be a member? Because here's what membership is. Membership is when you say, hey, Woodside Romeo, I pick you, and you're picking me, and we're going to do this bond thing together. Do you hear how awesome that is? I'm picking you, and you're picking me, and we're going to do this bond together. We're going to strengthen with gentleness, with humility, with love. We're going to, we're going to do this together. What I'm calling you to is just no matter where you are in your faith journey, why don't you take a step? Why don't you take a step today? Some of you, you're not serving. Take that step. Some of you, you're not in a life group. Take that step. You've heard a lot of information this morning, just in one little piece of chapter four. Why not take the word of God, not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word? If you've never placed your faith in Jesus, I just want you to know today is the perfect day. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the grace that you've showered on us. That as we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, God, you've given us gifts. Every single person in this room who's placed their faith in Jesus. Lord, we know you've given us all gifts and we praise you for that. They're gifts meant to unify this bond that we have. This bond that was given by you. So Lord, let us do it with Let's do it with gentleness and humility. Let us do all of this through love. We thank you for the grace that you've showered on us. Lord, I pray for the individual, maybe who's never placed their faith in you as Lord and Savior, that today has been like blinders being ripped away. And they find the freedom to say, God, I believe. And they confess that they know that they're sinners but that Christ died for us and rescued us, that he lived and died and he lived again. Lord, I pray for this space where they can place their faith in you as Lord and Savior. God, for this church family, I just, I'm so thankful. And I know I certainly haven't done anything to deserve it, so I just thank you for the opportunity to be part of this church family. Lord, continue to bond us together continue to strengthen our unity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Church, let's stand as we close our morning worshiping together.